Good morning, everyone. Can you all hear me okay? All right, excellent. Hey, it's so awesome to hear from Kurt and just hear about a university that is committed to having their students know Jesus and then make him known. Amen? That's, that's what we're looking at here at Crossroads in the year 2020. As our pastor shared this morning, we are bringing Jesus into focus, and we're in the Gospel of Luke. Now, I'm a, a dad of five children along with my wife, Amy, and we have been blessed with five healthy, rambunctious kids. And each one of them stays very busy and active, uh, playing multiple sports, and except for our youngest, she's staying out of the fray so far. And we're kind of actually like glad about that so far, right? Yeah, we have a little bit of break from her. But um, it's no secret, if you know me at all, that I am a coach, that I love to be involved in coaching some of my children's teams. And as a matter of fact, I think uh, if you've ever been in my office, you'll see a bunch of pictures hanging on the wall. This is one of them up here. Uh, this was from 2013. Uh, that's Josh's team. Josh is running the, the lights back in the back uh, of, the, of the auditorium. This was when you were, how old, Josh? About 10, about 10 years old. And I think there's another coach with me, if you look real carefully, holding the, the banner. That's our worship pastor, Nate, right here. Nate was on the, on the coaching staff, and his son, Austin, was on the team back then. And we just really have an awesome time. But let me just say something. As a coach, I feel like it's all about influence. It's all about an opportunity to really love on kids and to influence them um, through playing games and, and sports together. So I try and stay active and it also helps keep me somewhat in shape. Because as they're running, I go, run faster. And that somehow works. So, um, no, but, but one of the things that happens as a coach is before the game starts, there's an opportunity for, for a coach to gather his team together and sort of give the team the game plan. There's an opportunity to really just say, hey, guys, here's what's coming up. Here's the lineup. Here's the roles that we're going to play. And there's some things that are going to happen today that are outside our control. There's going to be some bad calls. There always is. It's human, human error. There's going to be some drop balls. Even as hard as you might play physically, you're, you're human, you're going to make some mistakes. We can't control how good the other team is that we're going up against. But there are two things that I always emphasize to my, my kids on my team that, that we are in control of two areas where we have complete control over, and that is our effort that we bring to the field every day, how hard we're willing to try, how, what kind of choices we're going to make in bringing the effort 110%. I don't know why coaches say that. I don't know how you're supposed to give 110%. I, I teach math. That's impossible. But we say it because we want them to know, bring your effort. And also the attitude, the attitude that you have when there is a bad call, when there is a drop ball, when you are down 10 nothing against a really strong team, what kind of attitude are you going to keep? Is it going to be an attitude that brings people up and helps your teammates and encourages them to keep persevering? Or is it going to be the kind of attitude that dra drags the team down? Do you realize in the, in the book of Luke, we're in chapter 6, that's exactly what Jesus was doing as we're about to encounter the word this morning. He had gathered his disciples. He had just chosen the 12. He had, he had chosen 12 members of a team that he called his apostles. The ones that he was going to leave the responsibility of the church to when he was to leave this earth. And he had gathered them. And, and this, and this um, scene that we're about to look at is really that pregame speech 
that I'm very familiar with as a coach. It's that opportunity for Jesus to say, all right, guys, here's the deal. Here's the game plan. I'm about to send you into the world, and it's a hostile environment. And there's some things out there that you're not going to be able to control. And yet there is something that you can control, and it's your attitude. And so I've, I've entitled this morning's message, Attitude Check. Check your attitude. I think as the church, as disciples that live 2,000 years later, there's times where we need to take a moment and check our attitudes before the Lord. Amen? So this morning, my hope is that we all do some self-evaluation as we go through this text. Where's our attitude at as followers of Jesus? Will you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for this word this morning. We thank you for being our coach, being a God who loves us, who has given us purpose, a game plan, who has called us to fulfill roles within that game plan, and God, who wants to encourage us, as a good coach does, to have an attitude of perseverance and have an attitude that is pleasing to you. God, show us if there's any area this morning where we're failing you in this area of our attitude before you. God, help us understand the changes that we need to make and be committed to make them. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you open to Luke chapter six with me? We're diving into, starting at verse 20. This section is parallel to another section in the Gospels in the book of Matthew, chapter five through seven. Maybe some of you have heard of it. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. This is a truncated or abbreviated section of the Sermon on the Mount. Luke records this because he wants to emphasize this, but he doesn't get as detailed as Matthew does. Now, some scholars think that this happened more than once, and it's certainly possible. This might have been a whole separate occasion. But I really believe that it probably was something similar to what he did when Matthew recorded the full sermon on the mount, and that probably wasn't even the full sermon, right? But there was this sense of Luke wanted to make sure this was included to emphasize in his gospel. And so start with uh, verse 20. Then looking up at his disciples, remember he had gathered them, he had called them, he's now going to have that pregame speech with them. He said, you who are poor are blessed because the kingdom of God is yours. In Matthew, it says that you are poor in spirit are blessed. But here in Luke, he emphasizes just the word poor. Verse 21, you who are now hungry are blessed because you will be filled. You who now weep are blessed because you will laugh. You are blessed when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven. For this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. Now, it's important to note here that Jesus is not saying in this text that the disciples should just strive for these qualities. He's not saying, go for being poor. Try and mourn all the more. Try and always just be sad. Try and always be hungry. Try and always find a way for people to hate you. No, he's not saying that at all. We know that because Jesus also talks about and teaches quite a bit about helping people who are in these conditions get better. 
helping people who are poor. Not stay poor, but get on their feet. Helping people who are mourn. Recover and move forward from their mourning and find a place of stability. Helping people that are hungry to be fed. No, if Jesus just wanted us to strive for these qualities, he wouldn't then instruct us to take care and remedy these situations as we find them in other people. So what is Jesus doing if he's not telling his disciples to strive after these qualities? He's simply describing that many of you find yourselves in this category. Many of you have given up everything to come and follow me. Do you remember the fishermen that were called? What did they do? They left their profession. They left their source of income. They left their boats. And they went and they followed Jesus because this was a man who had something that they wanted. And they were willing to give up everything to go after it. And so Jesus says, some of you guys find yourself with very little resources. You're poor. But let me tell you something. Although you might feel poor in this world, you're blessed beyond measure. And then he says, hey, some of you guys are hungry. You remember there's, in, in one of these episodes, he ends up having to feed the 5,000. Another time he feeds 4,000. And many scholars say that was just the men, not to mention the women and children. Many of them were hungry. They were going without because they were feeding on the word of God. They were feeding on every word that came out of Jesus' mouth. And Jesus says, you might feel like you're hungry right now, but let me tell you something. There's a day coming when you're going to be filled. When you're going to be filled. And that, that word is future tense. It's like something into the distant future that Jesus could see that maybe they couldn't see, and he's pointing that out to them. There's a day coming. Even though you might be hungry now, you don't need to worry because I see the future and I see that you're gonna be completely satisfied, completely filled. And maybe you're weeping now. Maybe you have loss. Maybe you have relationships that aren't what they should be. Let me tell you, everything's gonna be made right. There's a day coming when you will laugh. You will be filled with joy. There will be no more struggle. How many are excited for the day when there's no more struggle? Amen. That's all the people that filed their taxes so far. We all struggle on this earth. And blessed are the blessed when people hate you. Wow. Is it fun to be hated? Is it fun to be mistreated? Misunderstood? And the Bible tells us we should never give cause for those to hate us outside of Jesus. In other words, don't be an idiot. Don't call people names and then they hate you and go, see, I'm persecuted in Jesus. No, that's not what the Bible says. If you're being persecuted because you've been stupid, that's not protected under this clause. What Jesus is saying is that if you've identified yourself with me, you've aligned yourself with me and the world hates you because of it, let me just tell you something. They hated the prophets, the true prophets of old. They hate me. They're gonna nail me to a cross. Don't think that they're gonna treat you any differently. But there is a day coming. There is a day coming. Look at verse 23. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven. Oh, I'm, I'm excited about heavenly rewards. I can't even imagine. As good of a father as I think I am sometimes and I give these cool gifts to my children and I hope that they're excited when they open them, I just imagine the God who spoke the universe into existence like that. 
What kind of gifts can he give to his children? Think about it. That's what he has laid up as treasures for us in heaven if we will identify ourselves with him in this earth. Verse 24, in contrast, he talks about some woes. And you won't find these in the Sermon on the Mount. But Luke emphasizes these because he wants to contrast what he just said. And he, and he continues here, verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort. Woe to you who are now full, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are now laughing, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. Wow, what a condemnation. The false prophets. I don't want to be one of those. So what is Jesus saying here? Is he saying that if you have any of these qualities, that you're doomed, that you're wrong? No, not at all. But he is saying this. He is saying that if you are rich and you're satisfied, in other words, that's what you're striving for in this earth, is to be rich. And now I've achieved Riches, and I'm going after riches, and I'm, uh, if I get there, or I'm there, and I'm satisfied. I don't need God. I don't need him anymore. I got what I'm looking for. Man, wow, you've received your comfort. What about full? You filled yourself up on all the things this world has to offer. The pleasure, the possessions, all the things. Well, you're satisfied. You've settled for the good instead of the best that Jesus has in mind. And because of that, think about the rich young ruler. What did he do when he went to Jesus? He says, I got all this power. I got all this prestige. I got all these possessions. But Jesus, I, I'm kind of interested in what you're saying. What do, I, what do I need to do to come and be with you? And Jesus saw what was between him and that man. And he said, it's all the stuff that you've put in front of me that you need to lay aside. You need to get rid of. And he tells the man to go and sell everything he has and give it to the poor and then come and follow him. And what does the rich young ruler do? He says, I can't do it because I'm, I'm clinging to all that stuff. I've been going after all that stuff. You're asking too much, Jesus. And Jesus recognizes the things that gets in the way of a relationship with him. And he rebukes those that are in that crowd. Trust me, there were men and women in that crowd who were searching after these things. And Jesus says, that's not the things to search after. But they're like, wait, Abraham was rich. And he was a follower of God. He's somebody we look up to. This is called the upside down kingdom. They were expecting that if you were rich, that meant God favored you. And Jesus said just the opposite. Nope, blessed are the poor. Because they will be full. They will be filled up. And they are still searching for the true meaning and satisfaction of life. We have to be careful because there's times where some of these things can keep us from realizing our true need. What is our true need? It's dependency upon Christ. We get satisfied in our circumstances and we forget about our true need for Jesus Christ. And it leads to our first attitude check this morning. Number one, I believe there's a slide for this, is your joy dependent upon circumstances or is it dependent upon Christ? 
You see, because like I sometimes allow my circumstances to dictate my attitude. Well, I got, a, I got all my bills paid. I got a car in the driveway. I got, you know, all these luxuries and I'm feeling good. Life's good. Oh, man, all that's been taken away. I'm in trouble. I'm in debt. Oh, man, life's horrible. And we as creatures of this world sometimes allow the roller coaster of our circumstances to dictate our joy. That's not what Jesus wants us to do. That's not how he wants us to live. He wants us to understand that we have a something that's rock solid that we can attach our joy to, and that's him. And that's his promises that he's given us on that cross. It can never be taken away from us no matter what life throws at us. And that's what he wanted his team to know before they hit the game field, before they were sent out to be ambassadors for him. Are you living for the now or is your hope in the wow of all that God has in store for you in the future? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Is that what we're living for? The things that we can't even comprehend that God has prepared for those who love him? Or have we, have we sold out? Are we settling for the now? Is that where we're laying up our treasure? If Christ is your Lord and Savior here this morning, you're playing on the winning team. You realize that? You're on the winning team. You've been drafted to a winner. Congratulations. Live in light of that truth. Live in light of that truth. There's a letter to the churches written in Revelation. There's actually seven of them, but I want to focus on the seventh one, and it's to the church of Laodicea. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, it says this, Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator. I love that word. It also can be translated the creator, the author of God's creation says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Spit you out. Nobody likes lukewarm Coke. It's nasty. Lukewarm milk. Ugh. I mean, give me it chilled or give me hot chocolate. But don't give me no lukewarm milk. And Jesus says that's what we feel like to him sometimes as a church. Because you say, I'm rich. I have become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't know that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. You may be rich. White clothes so that you may be dressed in your shameful nakedness not be exposed. An ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be committed that we're committed zealous and repent. Be fervent for Jesus. Be passionate for your relationship with God. And repent. There's your instructions right there. If you're not carrying the right attitude this morning... That's what you need to do. Come back to your first love. Repent of the things that you're doing that you shouldn't be doing. And you'll find forgiveness. You'll find a newness 
You know, when I'm talking to my team in the huddle, if they're like, I got a bad attitude, coach. Okay, let's deal with that right now before we hit the field. I love to hear they admit to having an issue because now we can deal with the issue. We can set it right. We can get them on the right track and then boom, I can get them on the field and they're gonna be contributing in ways that as a coach, I want them to contribute for the success of the team. But when you try and dodge and say, I'm fine, I don't got a problem. You got a problem, coach. I got players like that, right, Nate? We had to deal with that. It's tough sometimes. I'd rather have somebody be honest and repent. Listen, verse 20, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and have dinner with him and he with me. The victor, another title for Jesus. I will give him the right to sit with me on my throne just as I also won the victory and sat down with my father on his throne. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Our attitude check number one is, is your joy dependent on your circumstances or is it dependent on Christ? Number two, let's pick it up in verse 27. But I say to you who listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. What a challenge. Verse 28, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. Boy, this doesn't sound like self-defense training in America. And if someone, or if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you. And from one who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. Remember, this is Jesus talking. Does he know us? Verse 34, and if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do what is good and lend expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. The Bible says that he allows rain to fall on this earth to both the evil and the good. God's grace is for everyone. God's mercy extends to everyone. Do we reflect the heart of God? I believe there's seven qualities here. I'm going to go through them quickly. Seven qualities that describe our God's love, our Father's love. Do we emulate these things? Number one, love your enemies. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in hostility against God, we were offending God. We were saying, forget you, God. I ain't following you. I don't need to listen to you. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's love. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Man, that doesn't come natural. He hates me. He took my parking spot. I'm going to... Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. 
Number five, do not retaliate. Ooh, this one's a tough one. Because I can spend hours, I can spend days thinking about how I can get even. I don't know why my mind works like that, but it does. I actually do know why it works that way. It's twisted by sin. Jesus' pure love does not retaliate. Number six, give freely. And number seven is the golden rule. Treat others the way that you would want to be treated. Is your love reflective of your heavenly Father's love? This is supernatural. You can't do it on your own. You need his power. You need a relationship with him. You need his spirit to be moving in you in order to demonstrate these qualities. And then in verse 36, we read, be merciful just as your father is also merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus spends a few moments here teaching them a universal principle of sowing and reaping. In Galatians, he says, do not be fooled. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. And so he goes through these things, and and quickly I'm going to list the five that he lists. Number one, sow mercy, reap mercy. You want mercy in your life? You want to not receive what you earned, not get back what you deserve? You go before a judge, you want mercy? I've had had, uh, speeding tickets, right? And I go before the judge, and I'm like, please reduce the fine, I'm a college student. And you beg for mercy. We need to sow mercy. We need to show others mercy if we expect to receive mercy from our Heavenly Father. Number two, sow judgment, reap judgment. You go around judging everybody else? Well, guess what? Your Heavenly Father, He has a right to put judgment on you, does He not? Number two, number three, sow condemnation, reap condemnation. Boy, that's a, that's a harsh warning, is it not? If we go around condemning others, it is we ourselves that are probably deceived about our relationship with God because that isn't the type of heart that somebody who's following God should have. The Bible says it should be a heart unto our heavenly Father's heart, and that's a loving heart, not a condemnation heart, not a judgmental heart towards others. So forgiveness And reap forgiveness, number four. And finally, and I love this fifth one because this fifth one, he doesn't say it's a one-for-one relationship in this fifth one, no. He says, so generosity, if you give, what kind of return do you get? Do you get a one-for-one return with God from your heavenly father or do you get like a exponential return? Well, I use the math term right there, exponential. The exponential uh, graph goes like this, Josh, right? goes like this, and it just keeps rising. That's what Jesus says. If we're willing to give generously of ourselves, of our time, of our money, this isn't just about money. This is about you giving of yourself for the kingdom of God and its purposes. And as you do so, 
you can expect your father's up in heaven to like, yeah, pour blessing into that kid's life. He's doing awesome. That's the heart of our heavenly father. He wants us to know that if we give, verse 38, it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. Anybody want God's blessings? It starts with you giving generously, investing into God's kingdom. Attitude number two is are you willing to love God, love like God loves you? Remember, the game plan for all of us in the church is very clear. We're to live by faith, be known by love, be a voice of hope. That's the game plan. When we get outside these walls, we're to live by faith, be known by love, be a voice of hope. It's the game plan. It's, it's such a game plan, we put it on the back wall so that as you leave this building, you'll be reminded of the game plan. As a coach, maybe I should have it on my wall what the game plan is. It's a good idea. Your role on the team is to love God and love others. Commit to love others the way Jesus has first loved you. John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Verse 39, he also told them a parable. Can the blind guide the blind? Anybody want a blind guide to show you around? That wouldn't work out too well, would it? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? I'm imagining that, that caught some laughter. Because Jesus is literally sharing with an audience why are you going around trying to help that little tiny thing that you get caught in your eye and you're kind of bothered by it when you got a two-by-four sticking out of your eye? Yeah, it's kind of like, well, that seems stupid to do that. I shouldn't be doing that. Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of, that is in your eye when you yourself don't see the log in your own? Hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to, to take the speck Take out the speck in your brother's eye. Verse 43, a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. Each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good man produces good out of the good storeroom of his heart. An evil man produces evil out of the evil storeroom for his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Attitude check number three. Are you currently humble and coachable? You know, the first attitude dealt with the circumstances. The second one dealt with others. This third one deals with you. Let's take an honest look of yourself. Are you humble and teachable? Jesus needs you to be. Because when you stop being humble and you stop being teachable or coachable, then you stop being effective for God. And God doesn't want us to be in that position where we're going around looking at everybody else and we're not realizing God's trying to teach us still. He's trying to grow us still. Are we willing? 
you really want to know if you're humble or teachable, don't ask yourself. Ask somebody who knows you. Ask your spouse. How humble and teachable have I been? You'll get an honest answer. (laughs) Will you not? Ask your kids. Ask your parents. Ask your friends. There's no I in team. Remember, the mouth reveals what's in the heart. Commit to be a learner and an encourager. Attitude check number one, is your joy dependent upon circumstances or Christ? Number two, are you willing to love like God loves you? And number three, are you staying humble and coachable in your heart? As we wrap up this morning, verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? Wow, what an indictment. Can you imagine hearing those words from Jesus? You're like, you've given up your profession to follow him and you've, you've followed him all over the countryside and you've been working with him and he looks at you right in your eye and says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you're not willing to do what I say? What do you mean? I've given up everything. What are you talking about? There's nothing more infuriating as a coach than having a player that will not follow the coach's instructions. There's nothing more detrimental to the team, to the game plan, to the success out on the field than someone who won't follow the coach's instructions. Jesus knows this. He says, you gotta do more than just listen. You gotta do more than just show up. You gotta be willing to obey. You gotta be willing to obey me. Everything that I say. You can't go, well, in this situation, I just find that it's too hard, too difficult, too lame to obey. I'm gonna go my own way. He'll look at you and say, why do you call me Lord? And you're not willing to do what I say. Jesus knows how destructive, not only in your own life, but in the lives of others, that attitude can be, and he wants to correct it. Verse 47, I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He is like a man who, building a house, dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood came, the rivers crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it, and immediately it collapsed. And the destruction of that house was great. Man, I don't want to get to the end of my life, and it's just a big train wreck. I don't want you to get to the end of your life, and it's a big train wreck. It begins now with an attitude check. Number four, are you willing to submit your will to his, to trust and obey? It's not good enough to just say, yeah, I'm listening. I kind of go to church every week. I live in a Christian nation. Yeah, right. California, are you kidding me? No, it takes a matter of the will submitting to his will. James chapter 2, verse 20 says this, Foolish man, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? It's dead. It's not faith at all. 
Obedience is the evidence of your love for God. Obedience is the evidence of your faith in God. Are you obeying him in all areas of your life? Let's pray. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. We're gonna respond this morning. Let me just say this. The pep talk's over. This concluded the section of instruction that Jesus had for his disciples that were on the team. When we leave this place today, it's game time, guys. We're gonna go back into our family life. We're gonna go back into our work life. We're gonna go back into California. It's game time. Are we ready? Is our attitude what it needs to be? But before you can even do any of this, let me just say this. There were people in that audience that were just hanging around. They were just hanging around the team. They were hanging around the coach. But they hadn't yet responded to be on the team. You realize there's people in churches across America that are just hanging around. But they haven't gotten real. They haven't truly responded to the free invitation of the cross. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Have you responded to his invitation to make him Lord of your life? That is the only way that your attitude can begin to shape and become what God wants it to be, is to allow the coach to truly be the coach, to allow the Lord to truly be the Lord of your life. The Bible says you must confess with your mouth, Jesus, you're Lord, I'm not. You call the shots, I don't. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The power of God was in Christ and he overcame death. There's nothing like it. You can research it. He lived on this earth. He walked on this earth. He died on this earth and he rose from a tomb that's now empty. Do you believe Have you received the free gift of salvation that's found in Jesus Christ? Let's pray this morning and we're gonna respond. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for this message. I thank you for the word, God, that you've given us in Luke. I just pray this morning, God, that we might be real before you. We might decide about our attitude, whether we're clinging to the circumstances and getting our joy from the things in this world, or whether we truly have our hope on heaven and hope on our relationship with you. And God, are we loving others the way that you first loved us? If not, God, if there's any hostility, if there's anything where we're not seeking reconciliation in relationships, where we're not forgiving, where we're not extending grace and mercy, convict us of those things and help us to take action. Are we staying humble and coachable? And finally, are we willing to submit our will to yours and obey? Father God, thank you for this word. I pray that you might move in us, the church of Crossroads, to be the people, the men and the women, the children that we're called to be for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.